0: Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8 uh, is a verse that we all know. And Isaiah is experiencing really an out-of-body-in-heaven type experience. And he said, then I heard the voice of the Lord asking, who will I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. The title of the message this morning is, Here Am I, Send Me. And it's probably most associated, because I think I've heard countless mission sermons with that as the text. I've been to a few uh, international mission board commissioning services where that was the foundational text. Here Am I, Send Me. I'm just going to be praying over that, um, that it will invade our hearts that it will settle in and kind of marinate as the subject for today as we see uh, Paul and thus Paul and Silas after he had his rift with Barnabas and then Paul, Silas, and Timothy and then Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. We'll all see that in our passage this morning. Do you remember, I've read it several times, Acts chapter 13 and verse 2. Where it says, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And and it just harkens back to the beginning, to the first missionary journey of Paul. And we're going to pick up today with his second missionary journey, God through His Holy Spirit, called them to the work and really began blessing them in the Lord. And they were doing such a great job, the devil decided that he better split them up, Barnabas and Paul. So he caused a little bit of conflict. Last week in chapter 15, we studied about that sharp conflict that Barnabas and Paul had over whether or not to take uh, John Mark with them. And at some point in that relationship, they probably could have worked it out. They probably, probably could have resolved their differences. But they did not. And they finally reached the place where they just decided to go their separate ways. Well, uh, when, when Paul went to Derbe and Lystra, he continues to search. He's searching for disciples of the Lord who are a cut above the rest. And he's looking for fellow evangelists, fellow missionaries that he can take along the journey with them. And the person he discovers is Timothy. So let's read verses 1 and 2. Acts chapter 16 is where we are. Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. Paul went to Derby and Lystra, Where there was a disciple named Timothy. The son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. And the brothers and sisters at Lystra and Iconium spoke highly of him. What kind of a person, what kind of a man was Timothy? Because he is a major figure in the New Testament. Well, we know that he was a man. Of good reputation. He had a good reputation. That's really, that's really all we know about him right now. And there are two things people kind of know us by. They know us by our name and by our reputation. If nothing else, as somebody said, the easiest thing to get, but the most difficult thing to get rid of is a bad reputation. You think about that. It's so easy to get a, a bad reputation, but it's the most difficult thing to get rid of. Somebody else said, uh, talking about, you know, reputations, said, we should live, we should so live that when death comes, the mourners will outnumber the cheerers. You know, we don't want a cheering section at our funeral. We don't need that. We want the mourners to outnumber those people in the cheering section. Um, several years ago, you probably have seen videos like this, but the beautiful Wade Hampton Hotel stood across the street from the State Capitol Building in um, Columbia, South Carolina. And it stood, stood so tall and so graceful for so many years. And then the buildings were just built around it and surrounded it. But it had um, taken hundreds of men to build. Um, but that was, you know, many years ago. Progress kind of made some demands, and the death sentence was, uh, came down upon this beautiful hotel. And so a demolition crew was called in, and they chose to bring it down by, uh, you know, way of implosion. That's when they put sticks of dynamite at strategic locations and then set them off in a coordinate, coordinated uh, route to where it brings it down brings a whole building down, but doesn't explode it It kind of implodes on itself and the time for the implosion was announced and um, When it came time to set it off uh, That which had taken many many men to build Came tumbling down and and so many months to build it came tumbling down with just a few men to do the job in a matter of of seconds just a short time to destroy and this is what can happen to one's reputation we all know people who have worked very very hard uh, to keep up their reputation to allow their reputation no tarnish whatsoever and then they let their guard down and in a matter of a moment they destroyed the good testimony of the lord that they had carried notice timothy had a good reputation. He had earned it, um, and he guarded it so that his testimony was not tarnished. Again, verse 2, the brothers and sisters, and not one, but two, two places, two cities, thought very highly of him, spoke very highly of him, in Lystra and Iconium. He was well known in two cities. Now, mind you, mind you, this is important, he was young. He was probably a young teenager, but so lived his life that it really took notice. And here's the partial reason for his good reputation. And I turn your attention to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5. I recall, Paul tells Timothy, I recall, I recall, I look back on your sincere faith. That first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and then in your mother, Eunice. And now I am convinced it is in you also. Well, let's continue to read our passage for this morning. Chapter 16, picking up in verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to go with him. So he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places since they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled through the towns, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem for the people to observe. Now, Paul recognized that since Timothy's dad was a Greek, literally a heathen, the young man had not followed through on that ordinance, on that rite of circumcision. And I'm sure Timothy's Jewish mother wanted him to be circumcised. And I, I would imagine even Timothy wanted to be a complete Jew and, and be circumcised. Well, why in the world would Paul want Timothy to be circumcised? I mean, wasn't Paul going around and delivering the letter from James and the, and the church that the, that the Gentiles did not have to be circumcised? Yes, yes but timothy was jewish and and in that day and time they went with the mother if if, if both the father and the mother were different cultures they went with the mother's culture and they were identified by the mother but probably the father looked down upon that jewish ritual and say nobody's going to cut up my son well i don't know timothy's father could have died he might not might no longer be on the scene or maybe he just relented we don't know. But Jewish people in that day said, hey, you've got to be circumcised. And it was well known that he had that Gentile father and that Timothy was not circumcised. Even though Paul knew that circumcision had nothing to do with salvation, he requested that he be circumcised for two good reasons. Number one, Timothy was legally A Jew, like I said before, they went with the mother's culture, with her particular religion. You are identified by that. An Abrahamic covenant, the covenant going way back, said all Jewish men must be circumcised. Well, here he is, a young teenager. He hasn't done that yet. That's one reason. But there's even a more important reason, mission our missionary strategy. Paul did not want anything to prohibit Jewish converts coming to know the Lord. And they knew that they would be going into synagogues in each city teaching about this Jewish Messiah who had come into the world, and they knew no one would listen to them. If they knew Timothy, a Jew, was not circumcised. This is called the missionary principle of accommodation. The missionary principle of accommodation. Following circumcision, Timothy, who was already legally a Jew because of his mother, was now, not only legal, was now a Jew of the covenant. And this isn't anything new today, by the way. Um, You've all heard of Lottie Moon. Let me introduce, maybe some of you are new to Lottie Moon. Uh, I'm always marvel at, uh, when we come up here to the northeast, the further from the south you go, the less people know about Lottie Moon. She was a missionary. She was a single woman who was called into mission work in the early 1900s, the late 1800s into the 1900s. She was a very, very short woman. And uh, she did did things differently. Uh, Back then... Uh, When you went to another culture, across the seas, over to another land, uh, you would do what we call westernizing people. And uh, our missionaries would westernize the tribes and the cultures, the people that they saw. But Lottie Moon was one of the very first who didn't try to do that. She tried to uh, kind of melt into the culture. She she was one of the first people who wore the dress of the, like the Chinese people. She wanted to look like them. She wanted to feel like them. You know, isn't it wonderful when people love the Lord so much that they're willing to lay aside their rights so that they will not be an offense to others and perhaps keep them from coming to the Lord. Now, Like we said a couple of weeks ago, who is church for? Everyone. And Lord, help us, help me not to in any way be a hindrance to the gospel for those who want to come. Well, let me give you an example from Paul. You you know this verse as well. 1 Corinthians 9.22, to the weak I became weak. And he became a lot of other things that's told in other verses. But he says, I have become all things. To all people, so that I may, by every possible means, save some. I've become all things to all people. Now, that doesn't mean that he becomes a sinner and gets down into the the grime and the dirt and then the gutter and the filth of of sinful people and sins with them so that he can identify with them. No, no, that's not what he's talking about. But he identifies. He, He tries to find some point of similarity some point of comparison so that they say hey oh you're kind of like us yeah I am kind of like you a human being of this world and Paul did that it was so wonderful the way that he was able to overcome certain things what a shame that there are some who claim to know Christ but are not willing to give up any of their rights even as the world presses in upon them Timothy had a good reputation. And God used them, used them all to get some good results. Look at chapter, look at verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in numbers. That's a result of all of them having a good, solid reputation. And so now they continue uh, to deliver the message that James, the letter that he wrote, this is part of what they're doing, and the church there in jerusalem uh, and sharing the gospel also so he probably probably goes into these synagogues and they read the letter first and then immediately go into a gospel presentation and and maybe some i'm sure some who heard it for the very first time and you match a good reputation which timothy had combine it with the life-saving proclamation of of the gospel, and you get churches that are strengthened in their faith and many new converts that just come to the Lord. So wherever they went, God blessed their efforts. Look at verses 6 through 8. Then they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. All right, I'll just, I'll just go this direction then. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Let me pause right there for just a second. Um, we'll get a map up on the screen, and I want you to, See, this is Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, I hope that you can read that from where you are. But they decided to, well, first of all, who who are they? They in in verse 6. This is Paul, this is Silas, and this is Timothy. And they wanted to go up northeast into modern-day Turkey um, and, and, and preach the gospel there. But it says that the Holy Spirit prohibited them. The Holy Spirit said no. Now, I don't know how the Holy Spirit spoke or what impressions the Holy Spirit gave or what doors were closed to them. But they said, Paul just kind of looked and said, well, I want to go northeast, but I guess guess I'll just go northwest. And so they turned northwest toward Bithynia and all the while thinking they were called to Asia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go. Now, what's the difference between... The Spirit of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Absolutely nothing. It's all the Spirit of God. I I don't know, maybe the Holy Spirit spoke to them personally, like just impressed upon their hearts uh, about they, they couldn't go in this direction. And then they try to stay in Asia and just go off in a different direction. And Paul's going, they're going along. And it's like Jesus speaks to them. And Jesus tells them, no, I don't want you to go that way. Let me ask you, have you ever wanted to do something for the Lord or you wanted to go somewhere for the Lord, but the Lord said no? Think about your past and about especially your Christian past. You, you, you wanted to do something, but it just seems like God was blocking it, blocking it, blocking it. When we were being called to New Jersey, before I knew that we were being called to New Jersey, I was, I was doing the uh, resume thing. And sending them all over the country. And I had placement offices working for me and all the state conventions. And, and I was sending them my resume. And they would send out to the churches who were looking for a pastor. And um, uh, I had several interviews you know, throughout a three-month period. And I said, boy, you know, I could get excited about that. you know, uh, Colorado, wow. Lord, uh, that would be an awesome, awesome place. That went on for about two, three months, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I get a call from New Jersey. You know, Lord, I don't want to go to New Jersey. There's nothing but Democrats up there. (laughs) I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I thought that. (laughs) I was so politically unaware. No, I didn't have any thoughts like that. I I just remember, you know, guys who would fly up and down to New York City, they would always, or, or fly to Jersey or something, they'd always say, you know, how bad New York looks from the air. You know, everything looks bad when you're in the air right over the airport. You know, I wasn't prepared for the beauty that God had for me uh, coming up to Basking Ridge. I mean, that was such a blessed time. Uh, and I couldn't believe, you know, it was called the agricultural state, but that part slipped past me. I said, I said this is this is great. Thank you, God. So God often, well, let me me just put it this way. Um, This passage that we're reading really teaches a valuable lesson. What may seem logical and good to us may not be that way with God. What may seem logical, like Colorado seemed logical. What a place, you know, I'd like to go there or I'd like to go there. What may seem logical and good to us may not be that way with God. Dr. Herschel Ford, uh, in one of his books, uh, he wrote a book on Acts. He tells the story of a dedicated Christian lady who dreamed of becoming a missionary. And she went to school and prepared for for ministry and prepared uh, for mission work. And she was accepted as a missionary by the board to go. But on the day she departed, or was to depart, She received a very sad and tragic message that her sister had died and left four children. There was no one to care for them but her. Um, This soon-to-be missionary, she was right on the cusp of going. And with a broken heart, she stayed back, she stayed behind to raise those four children. And as they grew under her Christian influence, one by one, they said, Auntie, I feel that God wants me to be a missionary. And she later recognized that God's hindrance to her becoming a missionary was for the best. By raising her sister's children all to become missionaries, God got four missionaries instead of one that's a good healthy way i think a spiritual way to look at it here's another truth when god shuts a door it's not just for a reason but for a really good reason he shuts a door it's not for any old reason but for a good reason let's look at the vision that paul experienced here uh, in acts chapter 16 look at verse 8 through 10 Passing by Mysia, uh, or Mycenae, they went to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision in which a Macedonian man was standing and pleading with him, cross over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, we immediately made the efforts to set out for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Well, now Troas was new territory for Paul. Uh, But then he receives a vision because he wants to stay in Asia. And Macedonia is in Europe. So he's about to embark on this evangelism crusade and the spread of the gospel in Europe. Macedonia is in Europe, a a whole different culture. And he sees this man, clear as day, he sees this man and he's pleading with Paul, actually begging him. To come now in Troas for the first time in Acts, it shifts from the story being told in second person. Now, you probably reading from the book, you know, Luke's wrote has written this entire book, and he's writing, he's writing, he's going, They, 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 you know, and they, and all of a sudden in Troas it changes it to we. Well, what happened? Luke joins them for several chapters and for several thousand miles. Luke is going to join them. Uh, there in Troas. I thought that was kind of a neat aside there. But you know, it's a common Christian phrase to say, when God closes a door, he opens another. But that is not necessarily, well, it's not in the Bible, so don't look for it. Don't get your concordance out and start looking for that passage. But, um, But the Bible has a lot to say about doors and opportunities and and going in certain directions, and having those directions changed. Here's another truth. Right? Look at this. The wrong question is, God, what is your will for my life? Am I saying it's a bad question? question. I'm saying it's a wrong one. The right question is, God, what is your will? What are you doing in this world? Because it's not about us. It's not about you. It is about what the Lord is doing around us. Where does this phrase come from? I mean, uh, when God closes a door and he opens a, another. Well, the first person that we, that we can go to that's written, that's put it in print, was Alexander Graham Bell, the founder of Taco Bell. And, but um, most of you are listening. I'm impressed. I'm really impressed. But, but he wrote this. He said, it's a good quote. When one door closes, another opens. But we often look so long at the closed door that we fail to see that God has opened up something else. That's pretty cool. And Although this is kind of close to how God operates, it perhaps is more accurate to say Paul and his team are saying, well, no. Not in this direction, okay, we're getting that from the Lord, let's go try this direction. No, no, I heard the, I heard the voice of Jesus right, right in my head. He said, no, no, don't go that one. Okay, well, let's go down to Troas. And it's just that simple. When God finished giving Paul this vision, he, it, says, it says he hurried to do God's work. He hurried to do God's will. Verse 10 says, we immediately made efforts to go. Some Christians say, I don't know God's will for my life. That's okay. In fact, if God gave you a clear, high depth vision uh, of what that will is, we might look at it and say, Oh, well, maybe someday I'll, I'll get around to, to doing that. Or, No way. No, God rarely outlines a vision for us like that. And most likely, if we knew it, we'd say, well, boy, that's, um, that's intense. Lord, I'm going to grow a little bit more. I'm going to gain a little bit more knowledge. I'm going to you know, embolden myself and, and, and become a more mature Christian. And then, then I will be obedient. Let me share with you Three principles about finding God's will, and then we'll close. First, God will guide you if you ask Him. Now, this is, this is just three. There's entire books, really good books, written on how to know the will of God. But here's just one. God will guide you if you ask Him. But the question is, what is God's will? Not, as, not what is God's will for my life. One is God-centered the other is me-centered. And here in Acts chapter 16, God is interested in getting the gospel into Europe. Now, why didn't he just come down and outline this while they were still in Antioch? He said, all right, guys, this is how it's going to be. This is what it's going to be like over the next uh, several months. Why did he let them waste time in going off into the northeast and, and modern-day Turkey and, and then try to go to the northwest and and waste all the, who knows how many days that took. Because that's how God works. I mean, that's just how God works. He will not, he doesn't outline it all in advance. But he's interested in getting that gospel into Europe. And he invited Paul and Silas and Timothy. And now Luke, who's chronicling all of this. And these verses are of great importance to you and me. These verses are really important to us as Americans. God had hindered Paul from going where he wanted to go, certain parts of Asia. And he led him to Europe. And so he led him to Europe to so fill them with the gospel that it would overflow into a land called America, which at least at one time was described as a Christian nation. So I'm, I'm excited that this is what God is leading Paul to do. Get the gospel out to Europe. Here's a second truth. Here's a second principle about finding and discovering God's will. Don't be guided only by circumstances. Don't be guided only by circumstances. Uh, our family and maybe your family two years back used to get the Sears and Roebuck catalog. And we used to get it like you know, in the fall so we could Really be prepared for Christmas. We used to love to go through it. We'd dog ear all the pages that we like to, uh, to get, wanted to get those toys. But um, they, they had a practice. They listed all their products as good products. I mean, everything we got, it's, it's all good. But they had products that were good, and they had products that were better, and they had products that were, were best. Like, like lawnmowers, they had like three levels of lawnmower. They say, this lawnmower is just the basic um, you know, 18-mile-per-hour um, lawnmower, no, no heavy-duty gadgets. A- a- and then it, they were going to find, what, what is better than that? I think I can afford a little bit more. Well, with this, you get a 20-horsepower lawnmower with a grass catcher. Okay, okay. Well, what is, what is the best lawnmower you've got? Well, if you want self-propelled, that's going to cost you a little bit more, and that, that's what we have is the best. And, you know, God's will can be like that. God's will can be a lot like, well, circumstances are good. Pay attention to circumstances uh, around you. Uh, uh, Secondly, what is is better than that? A vision or a voice of the Holy Spirit. Hey, that's better. That's even better than the circumstances. But we have a best. We have a best that we can all go to. And it is God's written word is the best way to discover and know the will of God. God's word is readily available to us. They didn't have the New Testament in Paul's day, but we have it as a ready guide for our daily walk with him and for our discovery of what God is doing in this world. So even when the door is closed, we ought to ask ourselves, is is Matthew 7, 7? Uh, is that apply here? And that verse says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Literally all of these uh, verbs are in such a tense that it is keep on seeking. Uh, keep on uh, uh, asking. Keep on knocking. Be persistent. It might be that you are to be persistent even the devil can shut a door sometimes we have we we might get discouraged we might be disappointed but keep on knocking till you hear god tell you to stop and then a third principle is this when god says no he always has a better yes when god says no he always has a better yes don't get discouraged when God says no in the form of closing a door, you might be initially disappointed. I understand. We've all been there. But watch and wait for something better. Um, I kind of hesitate to, to use this illustration to wrap up the message because it's a, it's a little humorous uh, when you look at the picture that you're about to see. Um, but it's appropriate. In Enterprise, Alabama, there stands a... In the middle of town, a monument to the dreaded boll weevil. So regally held aloft is this destroyer of crops. Why immortalize such a harmful pest? Well, in 1915, when cotton was the big cash crop of that time, the dreaded boll weevil made its way to Enterprise, Alabama infested all of the cotton fields and wiped them out. And the town was faced with certain financial ruin. How would they they make it? What would they do? But faced with that ruin, the local farmers discovered that the soil was perfect and the climate was perfect for growing peanuts. It was a huge cash crop, even bigger than cotton was. It set them on a pathway to a a much economic success, success. and um, everybody uh, benefited from this new revenue. So they celebrate the boll weevil, the one who came in and caused them to diversify agriculturally. Well, not a a silly story for the people in the enterprise back during that day, but kind of a lighthearted story. Ending to this message, when God says no, there's always, always a better yes for you and me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as we come to the time of invitation for us, Lord, are you calling some of us to ministry? It might be ministry within the church. It might be ministry locally, into our community it it might be mission work missions to somebody in a foreign land maybe even temporary father you call in some unique and majestic ways help us to hear that calling and lord would we be willing would we truthfully respond and say here i am send me Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke responded to you, O God. Lord, help us not to be so thick-skulled or hard-headed that we keep trying to move in another direction and you keep trying to tell us, no, no, that's not the direction I have for you. Help us to be such in prayer, to be prayer warriors, to be so in tune, with your heart and what you want for our lives. That we hear you telling us, no, we we got to move in another direction. Help us to be willing to do that. And Lord, your Holy Spirit perhaps has been knocking on the hearts of some people here in this room to come to faith in Jesus Christ, but they haven't yielded yet. They said, oh, I will someday, maybe next Sunday, Maybe next Sunday I'll I'll walk down that aisle and tell Pastor Ted or a deacon that I'd like to become a Christian. Lord, I pray that today is the day of obedience so that today may be the day of their salvation. Speak into our hearts now, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.